I've had this wallet since I was, I think, 15 is when I bought it. I really like it. It's got a guitar pick slot in it, so I'm never without a guitar pick, although I often forget to put the pick back in, and then they end up in the dryer or something. This wallet, on the front of it, there's a faint impression of the logo. It says W plus P, and that WP logo is the signature of the person who made it. It was stamped there with heat and pressure and time, and it's now a permanent part of this wallet. It was made by and forever will be a product of WP Standard. And it's with this kind of image in mind, this permanent impression, that Jude urges the readers in the passage we're studying this morning to remember. The idea, the idea of biblical remembering isn't like trying to remember your new postal code at the address you just moved to. It's, it's more along the lines of this impression. It's to take something to heart to the point that it's impressed upon your life, much, much like the leather craftsman pressed his logo onto my wallet. It's there forever, and nothing except for destroying the wallet will change that. And so the big idea this morning is this. It's keep watch to persevere. In Jude 17 to 23, Jude gives the readers his magnum opus his definitive, this is what I need you to know and what I need you to do. He urges the church to keep themselves in God's love so that they will be people that persevere. These verses, he tells them to keep watch for scoffers, to keep watch for yourselves and to keep watch for each other. By being watchful people, we will persevere. And this is what Jude wanted his readers to impress on their hearts. So would you stand uh, as we read the scripture passage this morning? Um, But right before we do, I'm going to pray. Dear Lord, we need you this morning. I need you this morning as I preach the truths from your, your word. Would you be with me as I preach? Give me clarity Give me boldness, give me passion, Lord. Would you help us to love you more? In Jesus' mighty and wonderful name we pray, amen. I'm gonna read the passage and I would love it. Uh, Well, I'm gonna read the passage and I'm going to conclude by saying this is the word of the Lord. If you agree with that, I'd love it if you said thanks be to God. Jude 17 But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To, show, to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Point one, 
watch out for scoffers. In verse 17, Jude begins by saying, but you must remember, beloved. Remember what? He tells them to remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles. And what are these predictions? They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the spirit. Beloved, this is a letter written to the church. The people he's talking about here aren't some distant enemy way out there that we might have to come and uh, face one day. There are people who call themselves Christians who are not truly living and trusting in Christ alone for their salvation, we have to remember that not everyone who claims to be a Christian is one. That's who he's talking about here. And in verse four, uh, earlier he said the same thing, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So why is it so urgent to remember this? Why does he say you must remember? Is it so that we can go around pointing fingers at people, paranoid and judgmental of everyone we see at church, wondering if they're on the short list? Absolutely not. That actually is an unhealthy preoccupation, and it's the exact opposite of what we should do. The point of remembering that there are scoffers in the church is this, that while these people uh, may be dangerous, while they may cause division, they will not ultimately defeat Christ's church. They were predicted beforehand. We know they're coming. We know they're around. So we should stay watchful, but we don't have to live in fear of them. Remember them. Keep them in mind. Watch out for them, but don't be afraid. The question implicit in this, though, is are you one of these scoffers? Do you roll your eyes at this stuff? Do you follow your own passions? Do you do whatever you want whenever you want to? Do you have accountability and authority in your life? Or are you judge, jury, executioner? If you're anything like me right now, you're thinking of someone else who really needs to hear this, but I'm asking you, to consider these things in your own life? Do you constantly cause division in the church? What are your main priorities? What is most important to you? Do you find yourself in constant tension and disagreement with other people in the church or church leadership? Do you gossip without control? Do you slander others? Do you argue and fight on social media all the time? Are you as Jude says, worldly. Not in the sense of being knowledgeable and in touch, but just so immersed in the culture that your lifestyle, your words, your thoughts, they're hard to pick out from your non-Christian coworkers and friends. Are you devoid of the spirit? Of course, a non-Christian will be, but you, Christian, are you so tangled up in sin that it doesn't even feel wrong anymore? Does the Holy Spirit guide your mind and actions and words? Does he have a significant place in your life? 
Or do you live day after day just like anyone else? Do these questions even matter to you? Do you care? Or are they just whatever? Let me remind you, Jude spends the significant portion of his letter telling us what happens to people who reject the truth. So friends, we have to watch out for people who call themselves Christians, who scoff, who cause divisions, who have no evidence of the Spirit's work in their lives. Not to witch hunt, but to be observant and prepared. At the same time, it's worth taking a second to stop and ask ourselves whether or not we fall into the category that Jude calls scoffer. In verses 20 and 21, however, the tone tone changes to encouragement and exhortation. Would you read with me again, 20 and 21? But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Second point is this, keep watch for yourselves. In verses 20 and 21, we see that we don't always only have to watch out for scoffers, but we have to keep watch for ourselves. The Christian life doesn't begin and end with finger pointing. Our time can't be spent looking around at everyone else's issues if we can't deal with our own. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, that, says this, why Do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not take notice of the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you can see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's impossible for us to continue to be devoted to our own faith if we're only concentrated on resisting and fighting opposition, as important as that is to do. And so we keep watch for ourselves. How? Well, in these verses, there's a command. It's to keep yourselves in the love of God. Stay in God's love. Meditate on it. Read about it in the Bible. Remind yourself and be reminded God's love and how your life has been changed by it every single day. Christian Jude begins his letter by reminding you of who you are. He says that, he he writes to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Called, beloved, kept. You are called by an infinite personal God who loves you and promises to keep you for himself. You are called, you are beloved, and you are kept. And so with those identity markers in mind, let's read verse 21 again. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Do you know what that means about who you are? Keeping yourself in the love of God has already been accomplished. The end of your story is written. You have been called and you are beloved and you will be kept in his love. 
And so if keeping yourself in the love of God sounds like a tall order, know that it is finished. So we have to know who we are. Also, we have to know our doctrine. Jude uses, again, the majority of his letter to warn about the dangers of false teaching. Don't fall into it. So know your Bible. Know the basics of the gospel. Read your Bible. Study it. Pray it. Know your doctrine. And Christians, while our salvation has that eternal guarantee of being kept for Jesus Christ, there is still work for us to do because Jude does command us to keep yourselves in the love of God. How? So what's the practical side of this? How do I, how do, I do this? There's three ways he gives in these verses. Building ourselves up in the faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, and waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So first, we keep ourselves in the love of God by building ourselves up in the faith. Well, how do we do that? What does that mean? How do we build ourselves up in the faith? I think this quote from uh, Tom Schreiner is helpful here. He says, The most holy faith upon which the church is built is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this faith has Jesus Christ as its center. So when Jude spoke of faith here, he referred to the body of teaching, the doctrine, and the church of Jesus Christ. In other words, building ourselves up in the faith is to make the gospel central to our lives. It's the foundation upon which every aspect of life is built. That's why one of the values of our church is to be gospel-driven. It's just another way of saying that the gospel speaks powerfully into every aspect of life. So know what the gospel is. Rehearse it. Know the gospel story. Know how its truths affect day to day. And that process of learning and seeing and experiencing more and more how the gospel affects how you live, how it affects your family, how it affects your contentment, how it speaks into how you respond to sin, how it fills us with joy even when There's no other reason to be joyful. How it affects our work ethic. That process is building yourself up in your most holy faith. Just like my wallet is impressed with the logo of the maker, the gospel should be impressed upon every aspect of our lives. Next, we keep ourselves in the love of God by praying in the Holy Spirit. We have to be people of prayer. Pray as much as you can about as many things as you can in as many ways as you can. Prayer is to the Christian what breathing is to life. They can't be split up. They can't be separated. And so if you are a Christian, you have to pray. Pray in the Spirit. Well, what is praying in the Spirit? There was a Scottish pastor uh, named James Hamilton who lived 
couple hundred years ago, and he wrote about what having the Holy Spirit with us as we pray does for our prayers. He wrote about uh, how because we're all affected by sin, we're affected by these things he calls infirmities. And infirmities are just anything that negatively affect our walk with Christ. And so listen to what he writes. He writes, lack of trust Godward, dimness of perception, coldness of desire, perversity of will, and distraction of spirit are all so many infirmities under which each petitioner labors. And it's for the help of these infirmities that the God of grace has provided not only Jesus as an advocate above, but the Holy Spirit as a prompter within. Happily for us, we are able to add that the Holy Spirit guides the thoughts and instigates the desires. He helps the infirmities of believers when they pray. So what this means is that when we pray in the Holy Spirit, our weaknesses are covered by his power. Having the Holy Spirit with us as a prayer prompter means that we don't have to be at our spiritual best when we pray. The Holy Spirit will guide our thoughts and reset our desires towards heaven when we pray with him. And if you don't know where to start, just ask him. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help guide you in prayer. He will answer. And then continue to pray about whatever he guides you to pray about. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Third, we keep ourselves in the love of God. In verse 21, by waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Waiting is an intrinsic part of the Christian life. Just like David waited for the first coming of the Messiah, we await his second coming. Titus 2.3, Paul writes that we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the gospel of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the Christian life is marked by waiting, but fortunately, we hate waiting. I could order something on Amazon right now and have it delivered to my house by the time I get home. And if something goes wrong with the delivery and it ends up taking two days instead of one, it ruins our day. We hate waiting. But beloved, what we wait for is so great that words cannot describe it. We wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude's focus on waiting specifically for Jesus' mercy that leads to eternal life is interesting. What about mercy specifically brings eternal life? Well, it's when he shows us mercy at his second coming that he will grant us eternal life because it is only mercy that would allow sinful people like you and me to be with God forever. We don't deserve heaven, not even the most holy, good, blameless, sinless, person here deserves to be accepted by Jesus. We deserve to be judged for our sin and sent to hell. But Christ's great mercy for us makes a way with us to be with God forever. If you are a Christian, you have already received an incomprehensible amount of mercy at the moment of your salvation. Titus 3.5 says that Jesus saved us not only because of works, or sorry, Jesus saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but, but, but according to his own mercy. And so instead of receiving the judgment we deserve, 
we receive mercy. Right now, all of us in this room are waiting. You might not even be thinking about it, but Christ is coming again. Will you continue to live like one of the scoffers, following your own ungodly passions, or instead of following yourself, will you turn to Jesus and follow him? Right here and right now, you can turn to his throne of grace in prayer and receive mercy and grace that leads to eternal life. So we keep ourselves in the love of God by building ourselves up in the faith, by understanding how the gospel seeps into every part of our lives. We pray in the spirit, assisted by his power, covering our weaknesses. And we wait for Christ's mercy, looking forward to that glorious day when he brings us eternal life. And finally, in verses 22 and 23, we keep watch for each other. That's the point. Point three, keep watch for each other. Read with me again, verses 22, 23. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire and to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Have mercy on those who doubt. As we wait for Christ's mercy towards us, we need to show mercy to each other. In a Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And so specifically, we're supposed to show mercy on those who doubt. Those who are falling for false teaching or just unsteady in their faith. Those who are in faith crises. And this is important to remember. Treat those around you who are struggling to believe with mercy. HGC, we must be a people, must be a church that is marked by mercy for one another. One of the parts of our church covenant, which if you remember, you have affirmed, says that we will walk together in love as Christ commands with humility and gentleness, caring for and encouraging each other forgiving and admonishing one another as occasion requires. This is exactly what showing mercy to those who doubt looks like. Verse 23, he says, save others by snatching them out of the fire and to others show mercy with fear. Save others, I thought that Jesus said that I am the way and the truth and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through me. I thought only Jesus saved, so if salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, how do we save others? That was your first thought while reading this? Gold star, you are right. So what does save others by snatching them out of the fire mean? Well, it doesn't mean that we save others in the same way that Jesus saves souls. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. And one of the things that we went over a number of weeks ago in our How to Study Your Bible class was that we need to let the clearer passages of Scripture interpret the less clear ones. 
And so if no one comes to the Father except through Jesus, then that means that they don't come to the Father through us. We cannot save souls. But remember these verses in the broader context of the point Jude is making. He spends verses 3 to 16 talking about false doctrine and warning us against that. And in the first couple of verses we studied this morning, he reminds us that there will be people who call themselves Christians who are destructive and divisive. And so what Jude means here by saving others is to just protect one another from stumbling in their faith and beliefs. If someone in our church is falling for false doctrine, we save them by confronting them and pointing them back to the Bible. If someone is sinning, we save them through admonishing them and holding them accountable to the Bible. And if someone is weak in their faith, we save them through encouragement and being there for them. We have to keep watch for each other, church, especially as our culture moves farther and farther away from Christianity being the mainstream. We must keep watch for one another. It's not about being overly critical. It's just about, as Jude says, showing mercy to one another. So let's be people marked by mercy. Looking again at verse 23, uh, that last phrase is a weird one. It says, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. It's admittedly one of those metaphors that probably hit a little bit harder for the people uh, who are the original audience a couple of thousand years ago. However, it's getting at a profound theological truth. And so with that picture of stained clothes, stained garments in mind, it's important to know two things about the culture that Jude is writing in. First, the Old Testament and in Jude's day, clothing was highly symbolic of the position that someone held in Israel's society. Kings wear royal robes. Prophets wear their prophet cloaks. Priests have a very specific way to dress in order to complete their duties of leading people to the Lord. The second thing to know is that Old Testament Israel was driven by these ideas of cleanness and uncleanness. And if something or someone was unclean, it would make everything it touched unclean too. Uncleanness was like a disease that needed to be quarantined and purged before a person could re-enter society. This is why people uh, like lepers in the New Testament are outcasts. They were abandoned to live outside of cities and communities by themselves. And that is why it is so powerful when Jesus physically touches someone that he heals. Now when Jude says to hate even the garment stained by the flesh... This is the picture he has in mind. Sin has touched everything and corrupted it. It makes everything it affects dirty and untouchable. And we're included in that. We are born into sin and everything we come into contact with is unclean from sin too. Until Jesus, pure and holy, comes into our muck, our sinfulness doesn't infect him. He's not worried about it. 
And he removes our filthy, sin-stained clothes and gives us new ones. And he says, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I have clothed you in my righteousness. As Christians, we have been washed clean, and so sin should repulse us. It should look disgusting and gross. We should hate it. But when Jude says to show others mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh, he means that we should hate sin. We should hate how it destroys people that we love and care about. We should hate how it's caused death and destruction in our world. We should hate sin, but still show the sinner mercy. Why? Because that is exactly what Christ did for us. This isn't a popular idea today. Many people would say that is, it's impossible to hate the sin and love the sinner. People view themselves as inseparable from their sin, whether or not they believe it's wrong. My anger, it's who I am. My addiction, it's who I am. My habits are who I am. My sexuality is who I am. My sin is who I am. The Bible teaches us that love for the sinner doesn't exclude an intense hatred for sin. And we see it right here in Jude. Loving somebody and, and hating the sin that will lead them to hell are not concepts that are opposed to each other. Actually, they're, they must exist together. It's embodied in, in Jesus' life and ministry. He didn't pull punches when it came to calling out sin, and yet he still treated everyone he met with kindness, with mercy. And so let's take this passage to heart and press it on your life. Remember to keep watch for the scoffers that want to cause division, those people that call themselves Christians but don't act like it. And keep watch for yourselves by keeping yourself in the love of God, knowing that you are kept by him. Build yourselves up in the faith. Pray in the spirit and wait for his mercy that will lead to eternal life. Impress the gospel on your heart. Let's keep watch for one another. Let's protect each other from sin, from falling into these dangers of false teaching. And let's encourage one another and build each other up, being ruthless with the sin in our lives while at the same time being overwhelming vehicles of the mercy that Jesus Christ has shown us to everyone we know. By God's grace and help, it is possible. And that is how we can be people that persevere as we wait for the mercy of Jesus Christ that leads us to eternal life. Would you please pray with me? Dear Lord, your word is inerrant, it is true. It is so necessary for us today. And so I pray that your words, Lord, would be impressed upon our lives. That the gospel would have a powerful influence on everything that we say and do. Lord, would you help us to be watchful people, to be observant and wise Would you help us to build ourselves up in the faith and pray 
constantly without ceasing. Would you keep us in your love, Lord? God, would you help us to be a church that is marked by mercy for each other and for the world? Because you have shown us immeasurable riches in the mercy you have given us. We love you, Lord. Help us to love you. In Christ's mighty, powerful name we pray. Amen.